There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. to try to keep you wide awake and happy in Jesus this morning. You got your Bible with you? Wave it at me just a second. You got a copy of God's Word? Very good. In just a few minutes when I finish, you are going out to open this book for yourself. And before we open it together, I want you to look at me for just a moment, and I want to tell you something to encourage you. You know, God gives preachers and teachers and people like me to share God's Word, and I love doing what I'm doing. But for me, the greatest thing on earth is for you to understand that God can speak directly to you through His Word. That you don't have to have somebody else uh, to help you know God. That you can come to know God yourself each day as you let God speak to you and as you speak to Him. The goal is God. I love the theme this year. I love the emphasis about knowing God. That, look, that's what this book is. This book is God's revelation of himself. The word revelation literally means take the curtain back. It's like God pulled the veil back and said, here I am. And this is, this is powerful. God wants you to know him. He's not playing hide and seek. He's revealed himself on the pages of Holy Scripture. And you will know God as well as you know his word. You know, funny thing, in my own experience, my own life, the times when I have sensed God's presence, felt nearest to God, felt like I knew God best, were the times that I was in the Word and the times that I felt so distant from the Lord and like God was far away from me typically were times when I had been neglecting the Scriptures. So if you want to know God, you come to know God through His Word. And with that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me this morning in the Old Testament to the book of Jeremiah in your prophetical section. Jeremiah is a book we don't go to nearly often enough. I promise you it's in your Bible. It's, it's in the section where the pages still stick together, all right? Everything's really white and clean there because we don't go there quite as frequently. How many of you have a favorite book of the Bible? I'm just curious. You have a favorite book. Shout it out. What is it? Good. Mine is Philippians. I love the book of Philippians, the book of Christian joy. But it's a funny thing. Sometimes we have this tendency to go back to the same passages over and over and over. And nothing wrong with that. But we neglect other portions of Scripture. For example, if I said to you right now, stand up and tell me what God has taught you from the book of Haggai. Or if I said, well, what's the Lord been speaking to you about from Habakkuk recently? 
Or have you ever learned anything from Zechariah? People say, wait a minute, is that even in the Bible? Oh, yes, it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, that means it's God's message to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So I want to challenge you this week. Don't neglect certain portions of the Bible. You need all of it. And Jeremiah is a great example of it. In Jeremiah chapter 9, God is getting his people ready for judgment that is getting ready to come. Interestingly enough, I think that's where we're living right now. America's not Israel, but I believe we're living in a nation and a generation on the verge of judgment. Judgment is coming. No question about that. So how do you get ready for it? Look at me just a second. You get ready for coming judgment by knowing God now. If you don't want to meet him in judgment later, meet him in mercy now. If you want to be ready someday, know him today. And that's the whole idea in Jeremiah chapter 9. And there are two verses I want to call your attention to that you're going to meditate on in just a few minutes. But I want us to study them together. Look at Jeremiah 9, verse number 23. Thus saith the Lord. Stop, lift your head, and look at me. God speaks. If I said to you this morning, Jesus is going to be in this auditorium this afternoon at 2 o'clock to speak. Jesus is going to be here. How many of you would come? You wouldn't just come. You'd fight for the front seats. You'd call home and say, you're not going to believe who's at camp this week. There would be such a hunger just to get near him, just to hear him. And yet, don't miss this. God made a way so you could hear him every day. God still speaks. How does he speak? Look at the verse. Thus saith the Lord. God is speaking through his word. And what does he say? Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, and notice how it ends, saith the Lord. Matter of fact, do something. Take your pen. You got your pen handy? Remember I said bring something to write with? I want you to mark the first phrase of verse 23 and the last phrase of verse 24, like bookends on the passage today. It starts and ends with God saying, this is my word to you. This is what I'm saying to you. This is what God's trying to speak to us about today. One of the things I like about the theme this year for your devotional time and for these morning meetings is that it is all centered on the person of God. You know, there is a temptation when you come to youth camp, when you come to youth meetings. I'm in lots of youth rallies and youth conferences and youth camps. And I'm going to tell you, as a preacher, one of the temptations is to come and deal with hot-button topics. Like, I'm going to deal with this issue this morning and then this issue tomorrow morning. And because that's what people are interested in. And yet, I've realized something. Sometimes you can deal with issues but never get to God. But watch this. If you get people to God, God takes care of the issues. Some of you have questions right now about things or difficulties in life or certain areas you're really struggling with, and you're trying to figure out, how am I going to figure that out? Look at the verse. He says, I want you to glory in this that you understand and know me. It's, it's not the knowledge of things. It's the knowledge of God that makes the difference. Proverbs 9, verse number 10 says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So, Excuse me, this is not just for people who go to Christian college or seminary. This is not just for preachers like me. God wants every one of us to know him in a personal and an intimate way. And out of that knowledge will grow and flow 
everything else you need for the rest of your life. Now, these two verses deal specifically with the way you think. That's the real battle, isn't it? May I ask you a question? What do you think of God? What do you think of God? And maybe the first question is, do you even think of God? You know, in Romans 1, God describes the ungodly world. We like to use the word ungodly for everybody else, not for ourselves. For example, I may say to you, they're, they're murdering babies, and somebody says, that's ungodly. They're living in, in gross, terrible, wicked immorality. Somebody says, that's ungodly. Uh, they're, they're cheating and lying. That's ungodly. Hold up. Do you know what the word ungodly means? The word ungodly simply means to live without giving regard to God. Do you understand that you could be a Christian and live an ungodly life? That you could go to a Christian school and be ungodly? That you could be in your church and be ungodly? Because you could be going through all the motions outwardly of God-like things, but if you never think of God, then you are an ungodly person. I ask again, are you thinking about God? Even at this moment, are you thinking about God? The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are not what other people think you are. You are not what you say you are. You are what God knows you are in the inner place of your thought life. Way down deep inside where nobody goes but you and God in the quiet moments when you're all alone, where does your mind run to? And God says, if you're not careful, you'll think a lot of you and little of God. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that when God is big in my life, I'm small. It's a humbling thing to realize how big he is. He's the creator God of the universe. He's the God who said light, and there was light, and it was very good. You know what I am? Let me use a deep theological term. I'm a pipsqueak. That's what I am. I'm a speck of lint on the page of human history. I'm, I'm nothing apart from God, and yet God loves me with everlasting love. We'll talk more about that. It's profound to me. God is big. I am small. But watch this. When I get big in my own eyes and I really start glorying in something that I am or I do or I have, then suddenly God seems to get smaller and smaller and more distant. May I say to you, God ought to be big in your life. God ought to be God in your life. The God who created the world, the God who speaks through His Word, the God who's at work in this camp wants to be your God, and He wants you to think of Him. And this is interesting. There's two verses here, and they're a direct contrast with one another. Verse number 23 is how the world thinks, and verse number 24 is how the Lord wants us to think. Look at the verses with me just a second. In verse number 23, here's how the world thinks. The world thinks like this. The wise men glory in their wisdom. They really know something. Some of you are extremely intelligent. You have analytical minds. You reason. You think. You ask questions. Uh, you, you read. You understand things. Frankly, some of you are just gifted that way, much more than the rest of us. And if you're not careful, you'll start thinking you really know something, when in fact what you know is only just the scratch of the surface of all that God is. There's a world of difference between knowledge and wisdom. You could know a lot of things, but if you don't have God's wisdom, then you may be just an educated moron, or you may be a very intelligent fool. Because the reality is, the great thing is not how much you know, it is whether you know God or not. And then he says, look at the verse again, let not the wise man glory in their wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might. That's strength, that's power. Some of you can run faster than others. You can jump higher than others. You can shoot a ball better than others. You can do lots of things. And if you're not careful, you'll let your ability become your God. You'll come to the place 
where you think it is literally all about what you can accomplish. And let me just let you in a little secret. At 44 years of age, I'm starting to realize some things just don't last. Your body's going to change. I hate to tell you that. It really is going to change. This thing that we work on so long to keep it strong, at some point you're going to start to realize how truly weak you are. And that's not a bad thing. It really is not a bad thing because when you start realizing how weak you are, it just reminds you of how strong God is. You see, everything in your life that isn't exactly what it ought to be is a reminder that God is God and you are not. You are sinful. He is holy. You, you are ignorant or uh, lacking in understanding. He is all-wise. You are incapable, he is all-sufficient. You get tired, he never goes to sleep. In other words, everything in our life that reminds us that we are needy people is actually God's gift to us because if you didn't have that, if you didn't have the stress and strain and struggle of life, after a while, you'd start thinking, I'm the mighty man. You're not mighty. Only one is really mighty, and that is our God. And then look at verse 23 again. He says, let not the rich man glory in his riches, this is, this is the world we live in. Get a little more money, have a nicer car, a bigger house, a newer clothes, more money in the bank account. Some of you already have as your, your life's ambition and goal to get more stuff. Let me just tell you, you can be a full, empty person. You can have it all and have absolutely nothing. You can have hands full and heart empty. And if you don't believe me, meet Solomon in the Bible. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. Some of the most miserable human beings I've ever met in my life are people that have everything that money can buy, but nothing that God can give. You want to know how rich you are? Add up everything money can't buy and death can't take away, and that's how wealthy you are. And the sad reality is, in our world, lots of people, they're glorying in their riches. This word glory is an interesting word. It's a word for celebrate. The Olympics are going on right now. And I've been watching the last few days as people stand on the podium and they hold up a medal and it's like the most prized possession of their life. Don't get me wrong, it's quite an accomplishment. It's an amazing feat. But the truth is someday that medal will melt because the whole world's going to burn up someday. Someday that event will be nothing more than a memory, an ancient memory in their minds when they're an old person. But nothing for the future. You watch ball teams hold up a trophy above their head like that's the ultimate. Listen to me. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate is to know God. And if you have everything but you miss God, you missed everything. Let me illustrate. You see this little dot right here? Right here, that dot. That's your birth. And this little line right here, that's your life. And this dot right there, that's your death. Let me review. Here's your birth. Here's your life. Here's your death. And here... Here's eternity. How far would you like me to go? If I ran around the building a hundred times, it'd be fun to watch, but it'd still be an imperfect illustration because there is no end to eternity. Now, wait a minute. If that's true, that's what the Bible says, then I want to ask you a question. Why are so many people giving so much attention to this and so little attention to this? Let me ask you a question. Why are you living now for now instead of now for then? If this world is not all there is, if this is just the entry point to eternity, if this is just you getting ready to meet God, don't you think maybe the greatest thing in life might really be to come to know God for yourself? When I look at these three things in verse 23, I've marked in my Bible, His wisdom, His might, His riches, talking about our own. 
Sounds a lot like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, doesn't it? It's all temporary things. It's things we celebrate and we glory in, but they're here in a moment and they're gone. When you come to verse number 24, you come to things that really last because they're all rooted in who God is. Here's how you ought to think of God. Would you write three things down today somewhere in the margin of your Bible or in a journal somewhere? Three things you ought to think about God. Number one, you ought to think about who God is. Who He is. He's a real person. He's more real than you are. He is perfect in every way. Now look at verse number 24. God reveals Himself, who He is, by two things. Right in the heart of the verse, He says, I am... And then he says, the Lord. Now take each of those for just a moment. This is, this is who our God is. He's the great I am. Do you remember when Moses went to God and said, I need a name, Lord. Pharaoh's going to ask me who sent me, and I need a name. And God said, just tell them I am. What? Yeah, tell them I am that I am. You and I have to say I am and put something after it. God can say I am and put a period after it. I am what? Yes, all of the above. He, he's every good thing. He's every perfect thing. He is the eternal God. He has always been and he will always be. He is self-sufficient, self-existent. He is the great I am. That's who God is. By the way, I am is a present tense, which means that our God is not a past tense God or a future tense God. He's a present tense God. He's not just your daddy's God or your grandma's God. He is your God. He is a present tense God. He's not just the God of bygone generations and past history books. He's not just the God of another revival time in ancient history. He is the God of today. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. He has not failed us, and he never will. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is, I am. He's not just the God who will be someday or that we will be with someday. No, no, God's here. At this moment, God's in this room. God is. He's the I am. But then notice the name, the title he uses here. I am the Lord. Everybody stare at it. Verse 24, is Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, yes or no? Yes or no? It's supposed to be. Every time in your Bible you see Lord in all capital letters, it's not always in all capital letters. Those are two different names for God. If you see capital L, little O, little R, little D, that means he's the master. We'll talk more about that this week. He is the master. He's the boss. He's in charge. But when you see all capital L, all capital O, all capital R, all capital D, that is the covenant name that God gave to Israel. It was Yahweh. Do you know how much they revered the name? They would not even say it out loud. When they read their Bible, if they were reading out loud, and they came to Yahweh, they would substitute another name for God because they trembled at this name for God. They feared God so much. We've lost some of that fear of God today. When the scribes wrote this name, you know what they would do? They would stop when they got to this name, and they would take a bath. They would put on fresh clothes and get a brand new pen so that the first thing they wrote with that new pen was this name, Yahweh. It was the covenant name for God. It was the God's. It was the name of God that reminded them that our God makes promises and our God keeps promises. We're living in a world of broken promises. Some of you have been terribly disappointed in recent days. Your mom and dad splitting up. Somebody you had great confidence in left. Somebody that you thought was something great suddenly disappointed you. 
promises get broken. By the way, good people break promises. Good people, nice people don't always follow through, but then God steps on the scene. Let me tell you, let me tell you who God is. He's the Lord. He's the covenant God. He's the God. The Bible says it is impossible for him to lie. He is the God who is truth. He speaks the truth and he fulfills every promise. That's the God of the Bible. If you want to be disappointed, rest your confidence in man's promises. If you want to keep hope, keep your hope in the Word of God. He is the I am. He is the Lord. Oh, that's not all. Right down the second thing. When you think of God, you should not only think of who God is, you should think about what God does. Everything he does grows out of who he is. His works grows out of his person. Look at verse number 24. Just like in verse 23, you got three things you shouldn't glory in. In verse 24, it gives us three things you should glory in that God does. Look at it. He says, I am the Lord which exercise. Here, the divine exercises. Maybe you've got exercises you do every day. Here's three exercises God does every day. Look at them. Number one, he exercises loving kindness. I tell you, in a hateful world, and this is a hateful world, Harsh, hard. I've never in my lifetime seen so much fussing and fighting and people who can't get along. There's only one thing that cuts through all that hatred. You know what it is? It is the love of God. And in a hateful, harsh world that makes sinners more and more hard and ugly to each other all the time, there's one thing that cuts through that, slices through it, melts through it. It is the love of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. God loves you exactly like you are. Not on your best day, on your worst day. There was never a day God started loving you, and there will never be a day God stops loving you. He could never love you any more than He loves you at this moment, and He will never love you any less. And I'm going to tell you why. Because love is not just something God does. Love is who God is. God is love. Let me tell you why, why God loves you with an everlasting love, because He's the everlasting God. God loves you because He just can't help Himself. And because God is love, he extends, look at the word, loving kindness. Do you know what that is? That's the expression of love. Tear the two words apart. Love, kindness. Kindness is God's love expressed to us every day. I want everyone in the room to look me in the eye, and I'm going to tell you, on the authority of the word of God, as the Lord's messenger today, God loves you, every last one of you. And maybe somebody told you they loved you and they were trying to get something from you. But I want you to know God loves you not to get something from you, but to give himself to you. God loves you with a pure and a perfect and eternal love, and God wants you to know that love. There's nothing like coming into a deeper understanding of the love of God for you. Every great revival in history is marked by different things, but they're all marked by one thing, and that is this. When people get wide awake to God, they start realizing how much God loves poor, hell-deserving sinners. Let me tell you about Scott Pauley. You know what I am? I'm a black-hearted, filthy hell-deserving sinner. And if I got what I deserve today, I'd be burning in hell at this moment or on my way there. But I am not there, and blessed be Jesus, I'm never going there because God loved me and gave His Son for my sins. And I want you to know God loves you. And God wants you to know His love. There's a second thing He exercises. Look at verse 24. He exercises judgment. We're living in a world that lacks true justice. People parade in the streets for justice. They campaign on justice platforms. They, they decry injustices in the world. They're going to try to straighten it all out. 
Let me let you in on a little secret. You're never going to fix all the injustices in this world. Do you know why? Because this is a sin-cursed world full of a bunch of sinners. And one sinner can't straighten out another sinner. Let me tell you who can straight out, straighten out every sinner. The God who is the God of judgment. He knows the difference between right and wrong. He discerns between the two. I'm thinking now the words of Abraham. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Oh, yes. He is the judge of all the earth, and he will do right. And if you think there's some crooked things going on in this world today, and some things you can't understand, and some things you can't figure out and fix, I want you to know, join the club. Get in line. We all feel that way. But there is coming a day that the Almighty God, the God of all judgment, is going to fix every bit of that. He exercises loving kindness. He exercises judgment. Number three, look at verse 24 again, please. He exercises righteousness. In a world of wrong, he's always right. I am not always right, and you are not always right. But God, always right. When I start getting confused, and I do, when I start seeing things going on in the world and hearing things and trying to figure it out, you know what I've discovered? If I would just open my Bible and start to read and let God speak to me, the Lord starts showing me things. Do you know why that is? Because this is the straight line in a crooked world. This is the one thing that doesn't change in a world that is always changing. God says, I want you to know who I am, and I want you to know what I do. There's a third thing God wants you to think about. Would you write this down? God wants you to think about why he does it. You ever wonder why God works the way he does in this world? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than ours. I can't explain all that to you. We are pea brains. We are finite people. He is an infinite God. There's no searching to his understanding. But God does give us one reason. Everybody look at the end of verse number 24. He says, in these things I delight. Let me tell you, everything God does is for his own glory. Watch this, because he is the only one worthy of glory. Do you know why God is working in your life right now? Because he gets joy by helping you become the person he created you to become. Can I ask you a personal question? Is your life bringing God any joy today? I'm not asking, are you happy? I'm asking, are you making God happy? Because, see, here's what I've learned. I've learned when you start living your life for his pleasure, you get pleasure in that. It's the most amazing thing. God has designed it so that the thing that brings him the greatest glory brings us the greatest good. Those two things are not antithetical to each other. God says, when I am delighted, when I am happy, when I am pleased, when I am glorified, then you have every reason to rejoice and enjoy your life. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Don't glory in flesh, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Don't glory in what you can, look at verse 23, in what you can know, your wisdom, in what you can do, your might, in what you can have, your riches. No, no, you glory in who God is and what God does and why God does it. And when you learn to glory in God that way, you're going to find the greatest life of all. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Galatians in Galatians 6 and said, God forbid, that's strong. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Young people, would you listen to me for just a moment? The greatest knowledge of all is the knowledge of God. The deepest wisdom is God's wisdom. The highest truth is God's truth. And the greatest thought is the thought of who God is. Would you like to know what God is thinking today? 
Would you like to know his mind? There's only one way you could know what I'm thinking right now. You're listening to my words. I'm looking at you. You're listening well. I appreciate it. But I have no idea what you're thinking. The only way I could know what you're thinking is through your words. The only way you can know what God is thinking is through his word. If you want to know what God is thinking, read the Bible. And if you want to start thinking like God thinks, keep reading. Because as you get into the Word and the Word gets into you, God starts changing your mind. He starts changing your thought processes. You start thinking more like God wants you to think about Him. And watch this. When you start thinking right about Him, you start thinking right about everything else. When I was a teenager, somebody challenged me to set aside a time every day. I didn't call it a God night time, but that's what it was. To open my Bible and let God speak to me. So, I gave it a shot. My parents had a guest bedroom in the basement of our house. It was kind of out of the way, and it was cool and quiet down there. And the time I picked was every afternoon after school. Probably not the best time on earth to do it. I like mornings now, but it was a starting time for me. And every day when I got home from school, I'd go down to that bedroom and go in and close the door. There's a little desk in the corner, and I'd sit there. Matter of fact, I, I came across in an old box the other day, the first devotional book I ever used. I still have it. I remember I'd sit there and I'd read a portion of the Bible. There were some questions to answer. And then a place to write down things I was praying for. And I'd spend a few moments reading my Bible and praying. Now, listen to me, please. When I started, it started as a habit. Like, I'm supposed to do this, you know. Preacher said, if you want to be a really good Christian, do this. It was like a duty, a box I checked. But something happened. After several days of doing this, because, you know, somebody said I ought to try it, something happened. I actually started looking forward to it. Then I'm going to tell you why. Because God started speaking to me. I started in my Bible reading, noticing things and and. And understanding some things, the Holy Spirit, I didn't realize all of it at the time, even the language, but the Holy Spirit was instructing and teaching me and, and was stirring cer- certain things in my heart. I started seeing answers to prayer. I mean, God really started working in my life. And I'm going to tell you, I, I'm thrilled to get to preach to you all week this week. But to me, one of the highlights of every day is what you're about to do when you walk out those doors in a moment. It is your time to get alone away from everybody else and open the Word of God and say, Lord, speak to me. And if you'll approach the Bible hungry, interested, ready, with the same spirit you knelt in this altar last night, I'm going to tell you, God will speak to you today. It doesn't mean you'll understand everything in a moment of time. It's a growth. It's a process. But God will start working in your life. And it is the greatest adventure of all to walk with Jesus. And the sad reality is some people, carry a Bible all of their life and never know the God of the Bible. They even know stuff about God. Paul said, knowledge puffeth up. You know the most arrogant people in church are? The most arrogant people in church are the people that win Bible trivia every time they play. Because they know all the answers. They, they've heard that before. Oh, yeah, I got that Bible story. Oh, I already know that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking not just about head knowledge, but an experiential heart knowledge where you say, I'm coming to know God. The Lord is real in my life. I'm I'm seeing answers to prayer. God is is working in me. Don't miss God. I started preaching as a teenager. I was preaching in a special meeting in Huntington, West Virginia. It's been long ago. I was just just a kid. 
I was staying with a pastor, and the old fellow's with Jesus now. He took me upstairs one day to a little bedroom. He had lots of books in. He walked right over to a bookcase, took an old book off the shelf. I'll never forget it. Took his pen out, wrote me a little note in the front flyleaf of it, handed it to me, and he said, this is a gift. He said, if you're going to be a preacher, he said, you need to start building a library, and I want to help you. And he said, this is a good book. I thanked him for it. I took it home, and I put it on a shelf, and I didn't read it. It was hardback, yellow pages, dusty, crusty, with no pictures. Not my kind of book at the time. So I didn't read it. Several years went by. I picked it up one day, and I thought, you know, out of respect for that old fellow, I really ought to read this book. And I started reading it. When I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. It was a true story about a Persian man named Ali Hafed. Ali Hafed had a beautiful farm, a lovely family, a great life. A priest in that area of Persia came by to pay him a visit one morning, and they were just talking about lots of things, and this priest said, Ali, have you heard that they're finding diamond mines all over the country and all around the world? He said, people are getting fabulously wealthy. When they find these diamond mines, they never have to work it again a day in their life. Amazing how you can get up one day and be perfectly content and go to bed that night with a seat of discontent. Ali Hafed suddenly had a little seat of discontent in his heart. And he woke up one morning and did something really dumb. How many of you ever did something really dumb you wish you could change? Well, Ali Hafed did it. He got up one morning, different culture, different part of the world, different time. He gave his family away to a neighbor, and he sold his farm. And he set off on a lifelong quest in search of diamonds, and he crisscrossed the globe. And he spent the rest of his life looking for diamonds. And as an old man... They said he went to the bay in Barcelona, Spain. He had not only not found a diamond mine, he'd never found a single diamond. And he looked at the rocks below with nothing to live for, nothing to glory in. And he jumped. He took his life. For the record, it's never the answer. Suicide's up 300% right now. Every 38 seconds, another teenager attempts to take their life. Tell you what Solomon said. Wisest man who ever lived said a living dog is better than a dead lion. As long as you're living, there's still hope for you. Ali Fed, no hope, he said. Took his life. Somebody said, that's a terrible story. That's not the worst of it. The part that Ali Fed did not know is that days after he sold his farm, the guy who bought it was watering his camel on the back of the property. The camel was drinking in a creek that ran through the property and with its big camel nose uncovered a beautiful rock. And the new owner picked it up, thought it was beautiful, polished it up, took it inside, set it on the mantel. The same priest came by to pay a visit, walked into the room and said, Ali Afed has returned. And the man said, no. He said, where'd you get the diamond? He said, oh, it's not a diamond. It's just an old rock we found out back. And the priest's eyes got big and he said, show me where you found it. And they went to the spot and got down on their hands and knees and started digging around in the creek bed and found another one just like it. And then another and another and another and another. They hired teams of people to come in and mine the property and excavators on every acre. And would you know, true story, that on every acre of Ali Hafed's farm, they found diamonds. To that point in history, it was the largest discovery of a diamond mine in the world. The great diamond mine of Golconda, from which the crown jewels of many a nation came. And the moral of the story was very simple. It was this, that what Ali Hafed had spent his entire life looking for was actually right in front of him all along if he had just taken time to look. And the sad truth is, there's been generations of young people who've come through our churches and camps just like this who had this in front of them, God's great diamond mine all of their life, and then they went out and spent the rest of their miserable existence looking for something to glory and looking for something to satisfy. And I want to say to you, hey, 
why don't you roll up your sleeves today and get your pick and your axe and your shovel and crawl into God's diamond mine and see what God has for you today. The greatest knowledge is the knowledge of God. And if you want something to glory in, glory in this, that you understand and know Him. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. And in the last 60 seconds that we have, instead of me just praying, I want you to pray. Will you pray right now? Oh, God, speak to me today. God, teach me today. In fact, you might even pray the prayer of the psalmist, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's a good one. Oh, Lord, open my eyes. Open my ears and open my heart. Lord, help me know you. Father, I commit these young people to you. I pray remove all distractions. And in the next few moments, I pray their entire attention will be Godward. And I'm asking, Lord, open the scriptures to these young men and women today and help them to come more fully into the knowledge of God. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.